morning, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Jeremy, and if you've got your Bibles with you, would you turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. Amplify. Oh, cool. We actually have a slide for it now. Awesome. Amplify, if you guys um, head out to your, uh, to your class now, that would be great. Hebrews chapter 12. Actually, we're going to read a couple of verses at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. If I haven't met you before, um, I'm one of the elders and, and pastors around here. And um, we're starting, in some sense, a new series, although this is our theme for the year. We've called it Show and Tell Church on Mission 2024. And there's probably a couple of little driving factors for that. The first one being is, as elders, and as we, we read around and listen around, we hear a lot that the church in the West has got pretty sleepy on evangelism. We just don't seem to quite have the passion or the drive or the wherewithal to go about sharing the great news of Jesus Christ in our modern world. We've kind of hidden away a little bit or stepped back a little bit with it. And we think it's time to fire up a bit. Second reason, I think, is that there's this sense around the place, this wrestling that's going on in our world. It's partly kind of COVID and financial things that are going on, but there just seems this unsettledness that sits in places. And we've put our hopes in all sorts of things like uh, politicians and governments, right? That hasn't gone so well, has it? Where do you go? Where do you go for these big questions and big things of life that stir up? Who am I? What am I here for? What's the purpose of existence? And I think more than um, I've ever noticed before, I've been here for, for seven and a half years, I mentioned in the last year I've had more spiritual conversations than I probably had had in the six and a half before. And some of you may have noticed that as well. There just seems to be a stirring here. So we think there's a couple of elements in play there that we think it's timely for us to think about, well, what does that look like for us as a church for our evangelistic efforts within our location of Cambridge? So let's look at Hebrews um, and I'm going to read a few verses. We're going to spend the next two weeks in this and, and think about how this works for what we're doing this year. So just a couple of verses at the end of chapter 11. It says this. It's talked about all these faithful people in the Old Testament, all these examples of ones looking forward to this promised one who would come, the rescuer king. And it says, verse 39, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Such a be beautiful picture. But that's the background. Now, chapter 12, let's, these are our verses, first three verses here. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you that they are a message for us in our time and space today. 
would you teach us what you would have us to learn that we may move out of here as changed people? In Jesus' name. Anybody tell me who this is? You probably have to be a certain age and vintage. But can somebody tell me, first, the first question is, who is this? Someone, Taylor. There's a very good start. First name? Richard or Dick? Yes, Richard is what his mother calls him. Dick was what the commentator of the race called him, and evidently his mother has never forgiven Keith Quinn. So, Richard Dick Taylor, what's the event? Running, good start. A little bit more specific. 10,000 meters, 74 Commonwealth Games. That's right. Okay, 1974 Commonwealth Games. A surprising victory in the 10,000 meter event. I want you just to look at the joy that is on his face. I was there, by the way, not at the stadium. I was in Christchurch. I was one, so I don't have a lot of memories. I read an article on this recently, and it was very interesting because it was very surprising that he won, and it was quite momentous, which I'll explain why in a, in a moment. But a few months before, he was a good athlete, but he wasn't really in contention. I think you know a bit of the story, don't you, Fred? And he went to the great coach of that time, Arthur Lydiard, and said, would you train me so that for this event? And do you know what he said? No. He said, you have a reputation of not listening and doing as you're told. I'm not interested in training you. And he said, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I think he regretted that <laughs> at certain times, but not at this moment. And so what Lydia did, his training was you did a lot of miles. He doubled his miles in a week. He made him move to Blenheim, the sunniest town in New Zealand, and he made him run in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, in the middle of summer. And he made him run over all of these hills. Do you know what he was doing with him? He was preparing him. Because he said, when you run that event, it's going to be the hot part of the day, and then when it gets hot, it can get very hot in Christchurch. And it was a hot day. The night before the race, they're sitting there drinking a beer, which is what they did in those days. And he said to him these fascinating words. He said, tomorrow, you are not the best athlete in that field. But he said, you're the best prepared. Isn't that interesting? He said, tomorrow when you run, you run your own race. Don't you, don't you listen to what is going kind of around. Or I've given you what you need to do. You run this. Next day, the gun goes off. The favorites take off. There's a little group at the start. Partway into the race, he is 60 meters behind. That's a long way in a race. And he was questioning him in his mind, but he said, no, this is what my coach has told me to do. What was happening at the front, though, was these runners were jostling and knocking each other over and getting too hard, and so they started to slow down. And so during the race, he caught up to them. And he had run clear, and he was feeling pretty good. And it came round to the last lap, and the, the red-hot favorite, um, Dick Bedford, I think was his name, he had fallen off, or David Bedford, rather. He had fallen off, 
And it was him and this one other runner. And he knew he couldn't beat him in a sprint, so 300 meters out, he took off. New Zealand was watching this race on TV. It had just got color television because all of life was black and white prior to that, wasn't it? Right? And so one of the first things they see is one of these first events at the Commonwealth Games and they're watching New Zealander run down the track and win a race. That joy on his face comes from somewhere, doesn't it? And that joy that he had was received by all of New Zealand. Ticket sales went up, people watched on the TV, and it's well recognized as one of the greatest Commonwealth Games ever held. And part of it is this particular event that takes place. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we think about the metaphor that, that um, the writer of Hebrews is using in this and how we're going to use it as we go forward here. I want you to notice a few things as we first go into these set of verses. And he says here, the first one is that there's, this, there's these witnesses, there's these, these ones who have gone before, there's these great people of faith that he lists through who, who didn't even have Jesus. They had to look forward to Jesus coming. We've got the blessing of knowing the story of Jesus and all that he did in the cross and the resurrection. We have the blessing of that. They didn't have that, and yet they endured and persevered and worked their way through. They didn't give up. He says, because of that, there's this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. And we have many more stories. All our church and Christian history, all of these people who have gone before us, who we can look to and set, see the examples of what has gone before. I don't know if people in heaven can see us. The Bible doesn't really tell us that, and this verse doesn't, doesn't explain it kind of to us. But, but there's sort of some sense that there's a great cloud of, crowd of people who are cheering us on. Wanting us to go well. Wanting us to run the race with perseverance that's been set up before us. And so there's this great cloud of witnesses, this crowd that sits around us with it. And then it says, let us do it. We live in a, such an individualistic mindset. But this is saying, and the writer of Hebrews does this all the way through the book, he thinks in terms of a community. He's not just going, hey, you as an individual, although that's important for you to know. He's going, what is it as a community, the race that we're meant to run? What is it as a community that might be holding us back or tangling us up? What are those things? Because, he says, we need to get rid of them. It says there that there's a race, isn't it? marked out for us. The word race there could have been conflict or fight. or It's, it's, it's a word that's used in different ways. It's sort of going into some, it's like stepping into a boxing ring or something or other. It's something that you're going to have to get into and endure and work your way through. Race is correct because the word before it is run, right? So it's the idea of I'm going in and I'm running an event. So, that's the metaphor, is that you're going to run a race, all right? So, I prepared earlier. I'll be able to undo these buttons or it won't work. So, this is 
Paul Signal. It's a borrowed shirt. I haven't stolen this one. It's borrowed off James. So I got this. I got a shirt to start with, and uh, these are my running shoes. So the idea is, for you who, when you're going to do an exercise, you think, where am I going to go? I plot it out. I prepare. I put on the on the right equipment and the right gear to enable me to run this race. Whoops. So I'm going to put a little bit of gear on here. Well, literally, I'm not going to run, Adele. You just have to use your imagination. All right. But it says there's a race marked out for us to run. And I think it's much broader than this in terms of what this race is. I think it is essentially that I'm meant to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. But it includes being an ambassador for Christ. It can't not include that. It has to include that. I'm meant to represent him on this earth. That is part of the race that I have been marked out for me that I am called to run. And it says two things there that hold us back. The first one is, or the second one there, we're not going to focus so much on this, but it's an important one. It says, sin that so easily entangles. Sin in your life will just trip you up and stop you running that race. If you are unrepentant sin that you haven't done, dealt with in your life, I can tell you that will be a killer for you evangelizing to other people. So you need to deal with the sin in your life because it'll tangle you and stop you running the race. But you see, the first one is not sin. It just says, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Now, the idea there with hinder is an idea, in fact, some of your translations probably say, wait. And that's the right idea with it. It's this idea that there's weight that, is slowing me down. Oh, these are reasonable rocks. So it's saying there's sin that tangles, but it's saying there's weight that hinder us. There's weights that hinder us. At the end of last year, we asked you guys to give some feedback on a few questions. First question that we asked was this, what fears, barriers prevent you from speaking about your faith? This is a hindering, what's hindering you question, isn't it? Here's what some of the things that were written. It's a fear of a breakdown of relationship. The fear of being judged or rejected. Fe the fear of being called a hypocrite. Self-conscious, the sense of, I'm not all that I should be, and so what am I portraying? It's always outside of my comfort zone what other people will judge me. Fear of a breakdown of relationship. Well, I've already done that one. Fear of humiliation. Getting yelled at and told to stop putting myself on a pedestal and thinking I'm better than anyone else, which was the person said was an actual example that they'd had recently. So this is one set. We're going to look at another set of answers in a minute. But this first set of answers, I think, 
is the first stone that I want to pull out. Aaron, can you just pull a stone out of there for me? <coughs> My arms don't quite reach that long. Yeah, I'll hold it. So first one is a very significant one, I think, in our modern setting. We're, we're afraid of what will happen in relationships with people, aren't we? We're afraid of, of sharing a message that will be perceived in particular ways about how people will think of us. And we need to acknowledge that, but we can't just acknowledge it and leave it there. We've got to get past it. This is an author, Greg Kokel, who is, uh, heads up an organization in the States called Stand for Reason. It's uh, one of the most well-known apologetic ones. He's been doing it for kind of 50 years since he became a Christian. He's written a number of books and done all sorts of stuff in apologetics. His latest book is called Street Smarts, and this is his first line out of his book. He goes this, I have a confession to make. Evangelism is hard for me. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> he does it for a living, but he still says it's not easy. And for the majority of people, that is true. But we can't sit there and leave it as an excuse. Because the Bible doesn't let us do that. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't. I'll do three quick things that we're going to explore this a little bit more next week, and I really want you to go home and be thinking about it rather than me giving all kind of the answers to it. Because I think in many ways the answers is this, is, is some intentionality in the way that you think about it and the things that you do about it. But a couple of quick things. One of the ones that helps me in thinking about this is a phrase called Missio Dei. Missio Dei is just Latin for God's mission or God on mission, right? Missio Dei is this is a, an idea that grew up in the, um, uh, maybe about 100 or so years ago that tried to change the emphasis from going, hey, you guys, God's got a mission and he's given you a baton, see you later, away you go. It shifted the emphasis of going, hey, God's on a mission. God's pursuing that person and that member of my family. God's after that work colleague of mine going before me, doing a work in their heart and in their soul, prepping and prompting and doing some things in their space. I think that is an incredibly helpful concept to be considering and thinking about. The second one, not to mix my metaphors, stay with the race one, but the second one actually comes from Greg Kokel, and I just think this is really helpful. He says... Um, the, the great metaphor for evangelism is thinking about it as gardening, right? He said, we often think of evangelism as picking the fruit kind of at the end of it, getting the person to the line, you know, getting them over the thing that they repent of their sinning. But, but so much of gardening is not picking the fruit, is it? I got a boysenberry that got a lot of fruit this year. Fruit's all finished on it. Now I'm preparing it for months ahead in the future trimming off the old stuff that produced the fruit this year so the new stuff can come away that will do the... Gardening, gardening, gardening is a lot of preparation work. And I'll talk about that more in a second. But this idea of most of your evangelism that you do is preparing something in a person and you are not the only one who's doing that. Someone else may sow, you might sow and another person might reap. 
we're comfortable with that because this has led us, isn't it? We're all doing it. We're together in this space on a mission. But the third one is this, in what I would call gaining courage. So overcoming fear is gaining courage. It says this, consider him, that's Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Isn't that interesting? Weariness and losing heart is not a new concept in our modern age. And the uh, thing that overcomes it is considering Jesus Christ. Second set of answers is this. We lack confidence in knowing what to say at the right time. We could cause others to be more closed off, feeling like I might say the wrong thing theologically. There's a lack of confidence not knowing what to say. I'm, I'm not a theologian. I don't know how to start a conversation. Might be saying something that might trigger or push them further away from the faith. So I think this set of answers, uh, we'll grab another stone there, Aaron, that's hindering us in this sense is, there's a weight that slows us down when we think that we are inadequate or incompetent or incapable. Again, we've got to acknowledge it, but we can't just sit there and leave it in that space. A couple of quick points. First one is this, is you don't need to know all the answers, but you do need to have some. You need to be thinking about some of the critical things that you might get asked at some point in time. Number one one I, f I find is a question around suffering. I really do think that's an important one. Because I think most people are one trial away in their life from having a spiritual conversation. I'll say that again. I think most people are one trial away in their life from having a spiritual conversation. Have you done the gardening to be the person that they come to that spiritual conversation for? Interesting question. So you do need to think about that. What if someone comes to you and says, I, I've just had a, a health diagnosis? I've just had a relationship breakdown or whatever it is. You have to have something, something to start you in that space. Not all the answers, but something about how your faith shapes you in that way. One of the things we're going to be doing in March is during March, the first four Sundays in March, we're going to have some specific training in evangelism and apologetics. I'm going to talk about that a lot more next week. But for four Sundays in March, um, we'll, we'll shorten our first service a little bit. We're going to create the space for the electives. We really want to do a little bit more training in that. And, and that's what I want you to do is prepare yourself a little bit more in that space. Don't feel like I have to know everything, but I do want to prompt you in a way that you start thinking it in a particular way. And so we think the thing for inadequacy to move away from that is that I get prepped. I'm throwing off the things that hinders. I'm thinking about that running a race with perseverance, the race that is marked out for me. How do I prepare for that in a particular way? Right. Let me, let me give you three things to go and think about as you're going. The first one is this, is I would encourage you to talk more openly about God your faith 
in your church community, in your conversations. It's kind of a low bar sort of one. It's not going, hey, you have you thought about Jesus? <laughs> have you thought about when you stand before God? It's going, man, this is what our church does in the community. Man, I'm involved in, in, uh, in one of the youth groups at our thing, and this is what, what we kind of do. Hey, at our church in our weekend, we did what? Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you start going, your, your, you talk about your faith, your testimony, your kind of way. And it, it doesn't have to be all about sin and Jesus and rescue. That's a point that it will come to. But there's a lot of gardening work that has to be done generally with people before that. The second one I think is this, is pray for an opening to a spiritual conversation. Pray for it. I think a lot of the gardening work is for that moment where they come to you and they go, this has just happened. And they're coming to you for a particular reason. Two quick examples. I worked in a vet clinic for, for six years and I was quite open about you know going along to a church and running a youth group and doing all the stuff that we kind of did with it. Um, and uh, two, two, two stories, quick stories that come to mind. One is my, my boss was one of the most godless men I've ever met in my life um, with, with his lifestyle. Uh, he would take beta blockers before the tax man came so he didn't shake and sweat um, when he was lying to him. He, uh, I, I won't go into details with him. But he was not someone you could have a spiritual conversation with till one day. I was in on a Saturday morning in the clinic. I was out the back by myself doing some stuff. And there he would have known that I was there and he had just had a relationship breakup, another one. And he wandered in. And we talked for probably an hour about spiritual things. I've never had another spiritual conversation with him. Right? But I said the things that I needed to say on that day. And I'm okay with that. Because God was doing something in him, and it was up to him whether he chose to do that or not. There was another lady, a nurse, and uh, she came to work for us for a wee while. She just had kind of a sadness about her. She shared a little bit more about um, the relationships in her life. She had a difficult relationship with her son, and and we, we chatted about all sorts of things, and she explored some stuff. She only knew two Christians in her life. There was me and a lady in the town that she um, was in who'd been in a wheelchair for 30 years. They're the only two people that she had spiritual conversations with. One Monday morning, she wandered in, and she looked different. She was beaming from ear to ear. And she told me in the weekend, I came to faith. She came to faith. Her trial was she actually had a kidney tumor and she passed away within a year. It was a difficult, difficult journey. But this is this gardening stuff that goes on, but you pray for an opening to a spiritual conversation and pray that you would recognize it, that you would recognize it. And the third one is just this, that you prepare for how to respond when that opening comes. Prepare. Don't get caught on the hop. There's a preparation element that comes with it because you know a lot of the time the types of questions that will come with it. How will you answer? How will you explain it in particular ways? It's a big part of what we want to focus on this year. The last one, which we'll explore a lot more next, next, uh, next week, is, is this idea of Jesus' future imagination 
because he says this, this is us, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. Now, the, this, this joy has to be connected to this idea of people coming to faith. This, people, this idea of this great hall of faith from, from the previous chapter and this idea that they would be made perfect through Jesus Christ, that he looked forward, that one day there's this joyous day that because of what he was going to do in enduring the cross, scorning its shame, doing all that he did, that one joyous glorious day there would be a group of people from all natures cultures and tongues who would appear before him rescued by him perfected by the work that he has done who will live in glorious eternity with him that was the joy that enabled him to endure what he did And that's the thought that we need too. That one day, we will be caught up in it. Who in the people that you do life with will be there with you? Tell you this, if you are any part of them coming to be there on that day, that will be a great joy. Jesus and to you and it motivates us that this future imagination of the joy of Jesus and what Jesus has done through his finished work on the cross is to motivate us in our souls let me pray and we'll sing to close Father would you use these words of yours to stir in us an imagination in our souls of the joy that sits before us in the future. That one glorious day when we stand before you, before your throne, that because of your finished work, that we will be rescued. That all of the sin and shame and guilt and brokenness that our world is in will be gone and we will live with, with you forever. But Lord, would you help to use it to motivate us to share this wonderful news with the people that we do life with. We thank you for this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.